0: So when I was like 14 months, adopted, and I was like, you know, kind of walking and stuff, like my parents noticed that I wasn't putting weight on like my left leg, something like they were concerned about. And so they went to like the doctors and they did like an x-ray. The thing they noticed was that I had, I guess, like multiple breaks in my femur and tibia on like both legs that had healed Mm. like a long time ago.
1: Hey, and welcome to I'm Adopted, Now What? A podcast where we talk about all things race, culture, and identity, one chat at a time. This is for people who want to get real, get deep, and figure out, now what? I'm your host, Liza, welcome to the podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. On today's episode, I am chatting with Claire, who I'm really excited to talk to because she is in college right now studying race in children's literature, which is totally a subject I would have taken in college if my school had accepted it, Uh, but it sounds really, really interesting, and if I think some of you may know this, uh, but a lot of my listeners, especially if you're new, may not know that my dad was an avid storyteller and a really good writer, and he actually wrote sort of like a pseudo mini-series of children's books uh, for me when I was younger. Sorry, my air just came on in my apartment, so ignore that sound in the background, but yeah, so I, this um, area of conversation, literature, children's books in general has a special place in my heart uh, because of all of those great memories. So I was really really excited to talk to Claire and hear about her perspective and what she has learned about the subject in school and yeah, all that good stuff. We also uh, talk about adoption literature in general a little bit outside the scope of it being children's literature specifically. We also, obviously because this is an adoption podcast, we go into Claire's own adoption story a little bit. She shares her background as well as other topical things that I'm sure you all have heard bits and pieces of before in other podcasts. like racism, having white parents, and all of that. I really hope you all enjoy and like this episode as much as I did and find it interesting, so let's get into it. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Uh, Today on the show, I'm talking with Claire who is from Michigan and a student at Central Michigan University studying speech language pathology. In COVID to stay sane, uh, Claire likes walking outdoors and being in nature. Hi Claire, thanks so much for being here and welcome to the show.
0: Hi, thanks for having me. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and that kind of thing.
1: Of course, thank you for reaching out. I like to start by asking all of my guests that come on the podcast, uh, you know, why you're here. Why did you wanna share your story on on the show? And why is talking about adoption so important to you?
0: So right now I'm taking a class called Racism in Children's Literature. And I guess throughout this whole year of school, I've been kind of like thinking about my adoption and just thinking, about like my roots and that kind of thing, and so um, I read a book recently for one of my like final projects called uh, "Messages from an Unknown Chinese Mother," mm-hmm. and it talked just a lot about like you know your birth parents and just like the different kind of um, stories that could have been yours, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I found that really interesting. And then after reading that book, I kind of ended up looking at Instagram, just looking at different like resources available for like adoptees and just like different pages that were available and then I came across your podcast and so then I started listening to your podcast and found the stories so relatable Mm -hmm. to mine and I just thought um, it'd be really cool to kind of share my own story and just I think add to the conversation of adoption.
1: Awesome. I think that's, that is a really interesting, that sounds like a really interesting class. Um, especially because I feel like all of all adoptees that I know have basically, uh, you know, had the same children's books about adoption or, you know, why they might not look like their parents, or as you said, specifically like a story that could have been yours. Um, and so, I think that's really, really interesting. Obviously, depending on when those books were written, I'm sure that there are lots of uh racist undertones. Um, but I guess I don't know. Have is that have you found that to be true, like in your in your studies at school?
0: Well, I've been looking at um books that I pulled out from like my own childhood. Yeah. And reading back on some of them, it's a lot of perspective, like from the adoptive parents yeah and so it's more like oh you know we're gonna get this baby girl from China and you know that kind of thing like the mother couldn't take care of her and I think that's like important like you to have like the adoptive side but I also think it's important to have like the perspectives from the adoptee and then I think it's cool like books that kind of view the point from like the birth parents Mm -hmm. and I kind of wish there were just more books that I don't know stories about like the birth parents so like in my creative writing class that I took this previous semester I wrote like a realistic non-fiction um, fiction story that talked about like the process of um, like a Chinese couple giving up their adopted baby so it kind of made like that story kind of my own story but like not really you know mm-hmm. in a way interesting yeah hmm. right like I think it's also kind of like a form of therapy just to be able to like write your own story even though you don't really know if it's true or not but I don't know just to
1: kind of give yourself a story. Totally do you have um, any desire to seek out your own birth parents Um, you know? That's something
0: I've thought a lot about about a lot about Um, yeah with reading the messages of an unknown Chinese mother right like that book is about Uh, like kind of different scenarios and like true stories of what mothers went through and I guess something I've thought about after reading that book is the fact that um I'm not really sure which story is mine or if that story was even in there but like there's examples of uh like a mother who was in college and she ended up having a baby and couldn't take care of her and so that's one of the reasons she gave her up or like there's other stories in there that talked about um like, people who, like, had a baby girl, but then they couldn't take care of her, so, like, she wasn't an orphan, but the parents kind of passed her off as one Mm. because they couldn't take care of her, Mm
1: -hmm. and then there's,
0: like, stories that the mom couldn't take care of her, they didn't want a baby girl, and that kind of thing, yeah, so I guess, to me, it would be kind of interesting to figure out, um, just kind of why that question, and then also learning about, um, I guess who was the one person who played like the biggest part of me ending up at like the orphanage so I was born in um Xinyu Jiangxi province in China Mm -hmm. and I was I was born on August 25th 1999 and then I guess four days later they found me in front of like the gate of the um Xinyu social welfare so like that orphanage Mm -hmm there for a few months. And then I was placed in like a private home. So like a foster home. Mm -hmm. After that, then in July, my parents adopted me in 2000. So, Mm. and at
1: that point, how old were you? I was almost a year. Got it. Okay. So pretty, pretty young. And it's interesting to me that they would put even like a, a baby, like even under a year old in like a foster cares adjacent situation yeah, instead of just keeping you was, in the orphanage
0: yeah i always thought that was interesting and like huh. my story and then another interesting part about my like adoption story um so when i was like 14 months adopted and i was like you know kind of walking and stuff like my parents noticed that i wasn't putting weight on like my left leg mm. and so it was something like they were concerned about and so they went to like the doctors or like my pediatrician and they did like an x-ray and one of the um things they were kind of concerned about was if i had like brittle bone disease or like mm-hmm. osteogenesis imperfecta mm-hmm. and so then they were referred to milwaukee children's hospital and then there they like did like a full body x-ray and then they like ruled it out essentially yeah, yeah. but then the thing they noticed was that I had, I guess, like, multiple breaks that had healed, like, Mm. a long time ago, and so I guess I had breaks in my, um, like, femur and tibia on, like, both legs. Wow. And so that was just something, um, you know, like, one of the big mysteries of my adoption is that I don't know how that was caused, and my mom said, like, the doctor in Milwaukee said, like, something horrific, like, must have happened, and Mm. so that's something I guess, would be interesting for me to find out like what happened and like who or what like caused it or something I don't know and maybe that's another reason too why I was given up was for like to seek like medical care or something right
1: right wow yeah before you before you mentioned the the latter part of that story I was thinking oh like brittle bone syndrome can be like like sometimes doctors will be Worried for uh, when they're like doing an exam on adoptees uh, that lack of like movement will create like some of the brittleness because all they're do all the baby is doing is like laying in on like a bed or you know whatever Mm -hmm. and not getting you know what I mean I guess not like what a normal quote-unquote baby but like what babies who aren't in orphanages, um, would probably be doing like moving around and they'd have someone to help them practice crawling and, you know, tummy time and stuff like that, which doesn't happen obviously in orphanages. So, um, that's where I was, what I was like thinking, but then that whole second piece about the doctor, like checking out your legs and there being multiple breaks. Um, that's wild. I mean, I can't imagine what it, must feel like to know that but at the same time I'm assuming I you tell me I don't know um somewhat disconnected from that though at the same time Um, yeah I
0: guess like um you know how you mentioned like being in an orphanage and not having I guess like that stimulation for your legs and that kind of thing um but I guess if, if how long ever long I was in like a private home or like foster home, like, I don't know if that could have been a cause or something. And mm-hmm. like, I know some of the stories, like we kind of thought about when I was younger it was like, Oh, maybe I fell off a bike basket or some, right. you know, right. something, something like that, like as a yeah. freak accident or something, but I don't remember any of it, obviously, but right. it definitely makes me question like what happened. And I think those answers would be nice to know, but at the same time I just do not
1: know so knowing that piece about your history uh that's you're saying that's one of the motivating factors for your desire to seek out potentially in the future your birth parents among many other things you know to like ask them what happened to my legs
0: (laughs) yeah I guess that's like one factor I don't think it's like the deciding factor but I think it's just something you know we're all kind of curious to know just one of the yeah. general things and yeah. like um another thing I guess I'd be curious to know is like when my exact birthday is and that mm-hmm. kind of thing and just like I don't know just seeing what they look like and just seeing yeah. what traits I
1: got from like which parent or yeah. if I had other
0: siblings and that kind of thing
1: yeah that that's cool I'm glad you mentioned that because I another question I'd written down to ask you was when you were uh talking about you know the timeline uh, being in the orphanage and everything, you sounded so sure about your, your, your birthday, you know, like August 99 or what, I forget exactly what date you said, but, um, my next question was going to be like, oh, how do you know that? Like, how do you know that's your real birthday? That's so cool. Um, because I, I don't, so, okay, we're in the same boat. Got it. That's good to know. Um,
0: well, I guess like, I kind of hope that it is my birthday because I do like the number 25 and, Uh I do have a younger sister who is adopted from China as well. Mm-hmm. And her birthday is the 28th of 2002. So an interesting fact about like our birthdays is that we're like three days and three years apart, but we're not like biologically related. Mm. So I do like to think that the 25th is my birthday, but you know, I'm mm-hmm. not sure. And I think yeah. I would be kind of sad if it wasn't. Yeah.
1: Yep. <laughs> same. I I do the same thing. I, um the, audience at this point will know because I've mentioned it before, but I always had that same thing with like hoping my birthday was this number or something. Cause it like matched the, um, the astrology, like, uh, assignment that I thought was most accurate, but you know, who really knows about that kind of stuff? Um, so, okay. We've already gone over a bunch about your history before adoption. Well, can you tell me a little bit about your background, Post adoption, you know, what was your family like? Uh, What was it like growing up in your hometown? Uh, Was it super diverse? How did you, were you aware of uh, the like physical differences between you and your family right away? Or, you know, just what did it look like growing up in your life?
0: So I grew up, like I said, in Gladstone, Mm -hmm. and it's a very small town in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And so the Upper Peninsula of Michigan is predominantly white Mm -hmm. and growing up like the only um, other like Chinese adoptee who I knew in school was my sister and Uh she like I said was three grades below me Um, so I think like growing up in that setting um, it did in some cases make me realize that I am different than like the other people but at the same time like everyone around me just knew me as like Claire and that was it. And then like, with my sister, everyone just called us like, oh, it's just Claire and Lydia. They're not like the adoptees, you know, or mm-hmm. anything like we didn't stand out in that way. But as we've like gotten older, I've definitely noticed um more people kind of saying like, oh, like are you guys twins to me and my mm-hmm. sister? And at first, you know, when I was like, I don't know, youngish teens, like it didn't really bother me. I was like, oh, that's so cool. like they think that we look alike, but, mm-hmm now I kind of feel like the fact is like they're kind of pushing that like oh yeah you guys must be twins you guys look so much alike mm. and it's like yes we're sisters like we'll always be sisters but at the same time like is that just them being like oh there's two people who are like Chinese like they obviously must be related and mm-hmm. that stuff and it's like yes we are sisters but you know there's that like sense of we're not biological sisters so is that just you being like yeah, they look alike, but, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of
1: thing. Yeah, like, especially, I mean, especially with, like, uh, between Japanese, Korean, and Chinese people, I feel like if you're not also an Asian person, you kind of just say, oh, they all look the same. Um, Mm -hmm. And as long as, like, it's Asian, then you just assume that, oh, like, Asian equals Asian, like it doesn't matter, you know, like where what country you're from or whatever, being Asian is just all the same. Um, speaking of being Asian and looking Asian in a predominantly white community, um, and I know you're not in Gladstone anymore, but how, how, but do you still live in Michigan right now? Right, you do, right, for school. Mm-hmm.
0: So I actually am still in Gladstone at this moment. I'm doing (laughs) everything online. Oh, from home. Okay, got it. Uh Mm -hmm. uh But in the fall, I will be back on campus. And I have been downstate before and stuff. But um, the town that my university is located in, it's a small town. And again, it is predominantly white. Mm. So I guess another thing I've noticed is that there aren't as many um, people of color in my classes as i thought there would be because like mm. growing up i always assumed oh when you move away to college or just wherever that there's bound to be more people right who you know who are chinese or just who are other ethnicities yeah. but
1: yeah not really the case but mm, just- that's interesting i because i was gonna ask you know being at college at university is it more diverse over there um do you find that your like racism in children's books class is at least more diverse? Or do you feel like that's still mostly like white students?
0: So I'm actually glad you brought that up. So (laughs) a lot of the students in that class are teachers. And so they're taking that class as like, um, a way to like talk about race. Um, and just like, you know, from a teaching standpoint, right, and so I kind of thought the same thing, like, when I entered the class, there'd be people of color, and it'd be more of, like, I don't know, a diverse setting, but when I got in there, I realized I was the only person of color, oh, wow, and, um, you know, that was fine and stuff, but I did kind of come to learn that it's kind of not really awkward, but there is that weird, um, feeling of, like, talking about, um, just like things that have happened to you, like personal experiences, like microaggressions or that kind of thing, like talking about that out loud when you know that people in that class have most likely never experienced it, you know? Yeah. So that is an interesting thing too. And it's something I also talked to the professor about. I just told her like, Mm. oh, you know, um, I've been thinking just a lot about um, my own personal experiences and Mm. that kind of thing. And just, I'm not really sure sometimes how to like, say what I'm feeling in that class because like I think I really like the conversations we have in that class. But at the same time, it feels um kind of hard to contribute sometimes, especially when we were on like the section that talked about like Chinese Americans. And then we did discuss like the anti-Asian hate crimes and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And just Mm -hmm. that just like felt pretty real to me. Like, oh, this is stuff happening to people that look like me. And I think it's important to talk about, but at the same time, it felt hard for me to talk about.
1: Right. Cause you're the only one who, pro- who has yeah. any idea, like what you're talking about. And it must also, I mean, possibly some of the people in that class, like, you know, you're explaining, like, you know, you're telling a story or you're sharing an anecdote and, you know, and giving an example of like this microaggression that happened to you. And maybe like some people are in the class, like, oh shit, like I did that once to somebody like, oh man. And that, that can get like that can get awkward, you know, especially if you're not actively talking about like the level of diversity in the class. Like, it's not like the teacher saying, Oh, you know, this is a class about race. So we should probably acknowledge the fact that there's only one person of color in this class or something, you know?
0: I know one That's thing um, she did mention to me, the professor, she was saying, Oh, like using the term we, like, or our experiences and stuff, like, um, she did point that out because like my experiences are obviously not the same as theirs and right. then vice versa theirs aren't the same as mine and so I she did mention you know we should be considerate of like using like you know collective terms like that like huh. just to think about it in that perspective which I appreciate it because I was like oh yeah when they're like oh yeah I grew up in a small town and um everyone was basically white and there's like two people or three people who were like of different race. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, I was like that yeah. person of different race in my own town. So like, yeah. obviously my experience isn't the same as yours. Yeah.
1: Um, wow, okay. How, what are your parents like? You know, I were they super open about talking with you in terms of adoption and, you know, any questions you had or was that, was that communication area a little bit more of a challenge? My parents were definitely
0: very open to talking about adoption and I remember like when I first started going to like school um we kind of spent one day you know in class like my parents would kind of come in and um we just kind of talked about me being adopted and that kind of thing and just kind of shared um kind of some of like the cultural aspects of like China and just that kind of thing and um I guess like everyone was very acceptive of it and I never had any problems or anything. And I guess too, like growing up with like the same kids in like every grade all the way throughout high school, like no one ever thought anything more of it. And then again, um, my parents were just very open and were always willing to like talk about it or just anything like that.
1: That's awesome. I have definitely found in doing this and talking with people and also you know reflecting on my own adoption experience and everything that like open communication from the parents has been so key. It's just been the game changer, the make it or break it um, factor that seems to affect greatly whether the adoptee kind of has, I mean, sort of, in reductive statements but has like a a simpler easy kind of uh identity development versus more challenging um and uh possibly you know more difficult uh like you know development and growth as they get older so that's really cool to know um i feel like it's also really neat that your sister is also adopted. And obviously I don't want to get too much into like her story because it's, you know, we're here for you. Um, But I do want to ask because I'm an only child and so I'm always curious about this. um, The element of having a sister who was also adopted from the same country that you were adopted from, do you feel like that helped you in terms of, accepting your own adoption story because you had like an ally someone who like you knew you weren't the only one basically um do you find that that helped or it didn't really matter I think
0: um having a sister was definitely like having my like best friend growing up and stuff like we were always just super close and we still are and I think it's always just been nice knowing that i have someone to talk to i guess Mm -hmm. in that sense if i ever want to talk about like adoption or if she ever wants to talk about it yeah uh, she's definitely more quiet i feel like on that aspect of like talking about it but um i just think we have a really great bond and yeah i do feel like we're just like meant to be sisters you know that kind of thing like it's just supposed to happen
1: that's awesome that's so cool (laughs) Uh, i wish i'd had a sibling it sounds so fun um how have you been, um, has has being in quarantine and kind of living through, um, you know, the kind of world turning upside down um, in the pandemic and everything on top of, you know, the social justice protests that happened last summer and who knows may very well happen this summer as well, depending on I don't know, a lot of things, like depending on what happens with Derek Chauvin's case on top of a bunch of other stuff, um, the, you know, the rise in like Asian, uh, Asian violence, like anti-Asian violence um, and all of that kind of put together. Have you been processing your identity in a different way than you used to or not so much?
0: I definitely think I've been thinking more just like about who I am throughout this whole thing
1: yeah
0: um just seeing I guess the news on TV every night and just like hearing everything that's just happening in the world um definitely just makes me think a lot about who I am and I guess just like the struggles that other people are facing in that sense too and I think like to go back on to like what I've been working on pretty much this whole semester and last semester just like writing about my adoption and just like talking to people about it. I think that's like helped too in a sense of um figuring out more who I am and then um just I guess navigating um my own adoption story, I guess. And then a, another thing um with like the anti-Asian hate crimes, it's definitely made me think of like the scenarios of like, oh, could it happen to me or like with someone in my hometown or you know, where I go to college, would they make, like, those mean, spiteful comments towards me, or, yeah. like, to my sister, or just that kind of thing, and that's definitely made me worry, I guess, um, just, like, if it happened to me in real life, because it's happening to, like, other people, and yeah.
1: thing mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that actually reminds me of, of um like, a, a, a racist situation that I was in the other day and which I already talked about on the show, but a question came from it, which I wanted to ask you and keep asking is when, when the Atlanta shootings happened, did you feel as, you know, someone adopted from China or any Asian country did you feel like personally attacked or personally in danger or was your reaction, uh, you know, like a degree away uh, from it feeling personal? Like what was your reaction, I guess, because mine was definitely one step removed from feeling like, Oh, uh, you know, I I feel like this per, this was a personal attack against me as someone with an Asian face um versus feeling like oh that's horrible and racism sucks but I don't feel like it personally affected me and so I just wonder I'm interested to know how especially adoptees feel because you know we have this unique perspective of understanding the way we look but also being aware that there might be a disconnect there and and so we might not feel things personally related to the way we look even though that's our face it's kind of hard to explain but I'm sure you know what I mean
0: uh yeah I definitely agree with like what you're saying um I definitely felt more um, not really aware but like it definitely seems more directed in a way since like those people looked like us okay. and um also like the the person who did the act or the shooter I think it said he was like 21 mm-hmm. and so that's someone who's my age mm-hmm. and that made me think of it in like another perspective of like growing up alongside this person and mm-hmm. like what if he had mm-hmm. um classmates or whatever who were like Chinese or Asian and maybe were adopted and that kind of sense and just like I don't know that to me like brought in a whole new look on the uh the incident too like just the idea of like growing up with this person and then um like having him like commit such like a horrible thing yeah and I don't know that just made me look at
1: it differently I feel Mm. like interesting interesting um yeah, I if, yeah, for me, I don't know, I don't know why I I guess, but I just didn't feel as personal, as personally connected to what happened. Um and but I think that's because I spent the majority of my adoption journey um kind of leaning away from the Asian side of things and leaning toward the white uh, side of the white American side of things. Um, which way did you lean or did or was it a a third new way entirely um, when you know when you were growing up and now?
0: I think I definitely related to more of like your side like where you're saying like you related more to like the American culture and I guess just like growing up in a predominantly white area yeah um, and not having like many opportunities or really like i said opportunities to learn about like the chinese culture yeah. and that kind of thing besides like books and when i was little like we did go to like new year's chinese new year's parties mm-hmm. and that kind of thing with like other adoptees in the mm-hmm. upper peninsula but at the same time i felt like as we got older like less and less of that like happened you know every year and like mm-hmm. i didn't get to go like interact with like other adoptees as much but um I definitely agree that I feel kind of more of like a disconnect with like the Chinese culture, yeah. Um, yeah. Which I kind of hope to maybe find like reconnections and just um, learn more about it as I keep going growing older and that kind of thing. But yeah, yeah.
1: Have you ever yeah. been back to China, like not to find your birth parents or whatever, but just in general?
0: I have not so Mm -hmm. I stayed here when my parents adopted my sister which Mm -hmm. looking back I'm kind of bummed but at the same time I don't think I would have remembered it yeah it wouldn't have been special, I think as it would have been or as it would be like now Mm -hmm. I'm older but I would like to go back and um just like to see I think where I where the orphanage was and um just kind of see what it was like but then then at the same time there's that part of me that worries that oh when I go back I'll like look the same as like a lot of them every- as like everyone else but at the mm-hmm. same time like if they talk to me they'll just know right away that you know I'm like not really one of them but right. I am so, like right. disconnects and stuff.
1: yeah that's interesting the people that I've talked to who have gone back to China have thought the same thing you know oh am I gonna go there and obviously like I'll look like appearance-wise I'll blend in with everybody but I don't speak mandarin and I don't you know I probably like walk differently than people over there um and uh they were actually more afraid of 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 being rejected by like chinese society over there um more than anything else because uh there seemed to be this sense of, no, you, if you, you go over there and, you know, the local people in whatever town you're staying in, like they can spot like someone that isn't from that area or that country, like right away. Um, which is probably true. Um, but yeah, I think that that's really interesting because that inherently means that, you know, aside from our physical appearance, there's there's a lot uh, physically that um, adoptees, especially transracial adoptees, um, there's a lot not in our face that like conveys our upbringing, the race of our parents, what socioeconomic class we grew up in um, that a local Chinese person could definitely pick up on like right away. Um, if you know, if we were there visiting. And I think that's really interesting. Um, because all of that is like, you know, nonverbal communication. And I, you know, that's just always fascinating to me. As someone who studied psychology in school, it's just interesting.
0: <laughs> I remember like looking back on like pictures and just video clips um when my parents were in China to adopt me. And a lot of the video clips had like a lot of like curious eyes, you know, looking mm-hmm. at my parents and just um the amusement of, you know, an American couple holding like a Chinese baby and mm-hmm. stuff, and just they were taking pictures and that kind of thing. And then I just think about oh, well, if I went back there, I'm sure people probably wouldn't take pictures of me and that kind of thing, unless right. I like, had like conversations with them. But yeah, that's just another interesting dynamic, I guess.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, let me think. Okay, I asked this question already. Mm-hmm. Um so when when people you don't who don't know you are communicating with you or you know interacting with you for some reason, um how do and they, you know, let's say they throw some sort of it doesn't mean to be racist, but it is racist comment at you. How do you how do you like handle those kinds of moments?
0: So I work at um, the YMCA, I'm a lifeguard and a swim Mm -hmm. instructor, and a lot of the times I've noticed now when I'm guarding, if you know, I don't really see someone who's like a regular and they come in and they don't know me and they'll start making small talk. And then, of course, they'll ask the famous question of, you know, where are you from? Mm -hmm. And so our why is connected to like a community college. So it is like a little campus and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so people ask me, oh, you know, do you study there? And I'll be like, oh, no, you know, I'm doing everything online and stuff. And then, They'll be like, oh, so you grew up around here? And I was like, yes. And then they're like, oh, so like you're from Gladstone. And I'm like, yeah, I'm from Gladstone. And then they keep pushing to tell me, or they want me to tell them that uh I'm not really from Gladstone. I was born, you know, in China. And so there's some times where I will, I will tell them that, you know, i tell them like, yes, I'm adopted. But you know, I grew up in Gladstone like my whole life. But then there's other instances where I just like don't really don't really feel the need to tell them. And sometimes I feel like I struggle with that um, with that like idea of like, oh, do I tell them or do I not tell them? Because mm-hmm. I know it's really them pushing for more and I shouldn't have to tell them anything, but at the same time, it just makes me feel weird. Like sometimes if I don't tell them, so it's like that internal struggle to keep telling myself, like, do I tell them everything or do I just leave it at, yes, I was raised in Gladstone and that's all they really need to know. I know like um, when I talk to some of my other friends who are adoptees and we talk about the same thing we we always talk about like oh but that like internal struggle do you tell them or not like that's just something I don't know because it's personal like you don't really tell you, mm-hmm. you don't have to tell like your whole life story to like a stranger but at the same time they have like this knowledge of wanting to be right and, and I don't know do I give it to that
1: or do I give it to them or do I not It's like yeah, kind of struggle there's this there is an assumption that Asian people are not from America
0: mm-hmm. um like even forever
1: foreigner exactly yes exactly even if they're they've been here generations way longer than than you know that family at the end of the streets family has been here you know like um So I think as I've become more aware of that, I am now more reluctant to offer up the fact that I'm adopted. And I think more partly for my own amusement, certainly, um, but partly like, you know, on principle or whatever, um, I kind of let them exist in their confusion. And like, if you want to be, if you want to understand what's happening, then like, ask me an actual question. Like, don't just ask Mm -hmm. me where I'm from, you know, once, like, where are you from? Where are you from? You know, like, don't just change your intonation and like, you know, furrow your eyebrows and expect me to just, you know, like solve your problem for you. Um, So So sometimes I wish I had
0: like a I mean, not obviously a mean comeback or anything, but just like something to say back to them. Be like, mm-hmm. "Oh, well, where are you from?" You know, like that kind of thing. And then, yeah, tell me, I'm sure, like, "Oh, you know, I'm from, you know, the United States and stuff." And it's like, "Oh, yeah," <laughs> like, <laughs> but yep. just having, I guess, like another thing maybe to say in response, or maybe like try to educate them or something, like saying, "Oh, well, like, um, I don't know, just like to have something else to say to them that." Doesn't really give them like the whole story of like myself. Maybe like be more open to talk about like oh like their history too. And like I feel like that's another hard thing is that like we're adopted from China, but like we only spent maybe like yeah less than a few years there, and then just growing up here like all of our life like Mm -hmm. I don't know. And especially for me, I just don't remember anything about China. Mm -hmm. And so. Oh, where are you from? And like, I am from a different place than you,
1: but like, I don't remember that place and yeah. that kind of thing. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you're right. It is a famous, it's an age-old question, the where are you from question. I have, I've had so many different types of conversations um about that, the idea of that question, how to answer that question and how can we as adoptees use that opportunity to be educational right like as you said without being offensive without trying to tell the other person you know like well just so you know you shouldn't say it that way in the future or you know not you know i'm not not trying to come from a place of on high and like preach at people but you know how do you use that opportunity to be respectful of them, but also, you know, equally respectful of yourself and just, and answer genuinely, but in a way that like, lets them know, you know, maybe like, you know, don't ask that way. Um, yeah. I still don't know the answer. So um, it's a work in progress, I guess, for, for everybody. Awesome. Okay, so my last question for you, which I try and ask all of my interviewees at the end is, you know, we spend time kind of going through history to life right now. And, you know, in the future, hopefully COVID will be over and life will be not back to normal, but uh, a better version of what normal used to be. Um, And Basically, like it's all about, you know, how we change, right? And how from from when we grew up when we're little to now, you know, what our identity has become over time with all of you know the different influences that we've talked about. So with everything that you've learned up to now, you know, in your whole life with everything related to adoption and identity, um, if you could tell your younger self like one piece of advice about it, about um, figuring out who you are, uh, what would you tell, what would you say?
0: I think I would probably tell myself, um, I don't really know, like, I guess there's just like different things I might tell myself, but um, I think I would definitely tell myself like to have more confidence Mm. in like who I am and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing Mm -hmm. and then just to really stop caring about like what other people think Mm because I think that's just something that's been like stuck in my head a lot just like thinking oh what do people think of this what do people think of that like do they do they really know that I'm different yeah like that kind of thing so I think I would definitely um not really care about like what other people think and like don't let those thoughts like hinder my own thoughts and just like how I want to live like my own life and that kind of thing. Yeah.
1: In a sense, I think that's what I'd tell myself. (laughs) I think that's a great piece of advice. I actually, it's funny you say that because I look at the next generation, like Gen Z, and I think like, wow, they are very, and obviously this is sort of like like a a broad statement for an entire generation of people. So take it with multiple grains of salt. But I look at Gen Z, for example, and I think, wow, like, they seem to have, you know, thrown off concerns of being, you know, what, of whether being different makes them weird or, uh, just doing what they want to do. And, you know, they just don't seem to care about fitting in as much as my generation did or the generation before me did. Um, and I, I think that's partly because like on a societal level, being different is gradually over time being seen as beautiful instead of weird and you know, embracing your uniqueness is, you know, becoming like more popular. And there's just less judgment around something that might be outside the norm, Um, which I mean, is so great. But that's interesting that you say that because I do feel like younger generations are having an easier time with just doing what they want to do and not caring about what society thinks of it.
0: And I think we're also um in a time too of like social media is just mm-hmm. really popular and just really big and then you know when you just see things on like Instagram or Facebook and just like different stories that are different than your own I yeah. think we as like a society just kind of learn to like accept everyone's stories and then yeah you know, not normalize really anything anymore. And like a sense of like, oh, obviously, all of our stories are different. But that's just like what makes us so special in the first place.
1: Yeah,
0: unique stories and share them with others. And another thing like tying it back to like my, um, my English class, and just like, allowing other people to read stories that are like, windows into, like, other people's lives, like, we've talked a lot about, like, the mirrors and windows concept of, like, finding books that, like, represent you, but then also reading books that represent other people, and I think that's something, personally, I missed growing up is, like, reading in school books that, you know, maybe that looked like me in school, or, like, books that looked like other, um, other races and stuff Mm -hmm. and cultures, Mm -hmm. and I think, like, that's one way of, like, you know, just reading books and just, like, being exposed to like different like tv shows that have people of color as like you know Mm -hmm. main Mm -hmm. characters and that kind of thing and just a wider representation yeah of like one
1: so definitely that's i've never thought about that the element of social media you know at play in terms in terms of making being different be cool um that's a great point. Yeah. Cause I feel like in, in before social media, like if you were doing something, you know, you you'd not like you'd want to hide it, but it would just be like private. Whereas now you do something that would be, you know, quote unquote weird, like considered weird, and you want to put it on social media. Like that's your first instinct, like, oh, I want to like make a video about this or like, you know, a TikTok reel or whatever. And, like, put put my own style or vibe or whatever it is like out there so that other people can experience it. Whereas, like opposed to before, where you didn't want other people to experience it um, for fear of being judged or whatever. Uh, so I think
0: yeah, that another thing too. Um, yeah. With, like, social media, I've definitely realized, like, on TikTok, for example, there's, like, a lot of different, like, communities of TikTok, like, um, I've, like, watched, like, TikToks that are from, like, the Deaf community, and then Mm. just, like, the Asian community, and just, like, you know, people with disabilities, and so I really think, like, that's a way for a lot of people just to become more aware and, like, accepting of just, like, the different communities that are out there that they might not belong to, and just, Kind of learn about that and another thing like with instagram like when um like the black lives matter movement or like the um anti-asian hate crimes were going on it was interesting to see um just like i guess the support around those groups yeah. from people that like i knew personally or just like other posts from like people i didn't know and just like seeing how like like People are like becoming more aware of like the issues and that sort of thing and just like seeing like people's stories and just um looking at it from like that view, it kind of realizes that, oh um, I think people really truly care about this and that there are other people like to go to, I guess, if you want to like talk to things like that, talk about things like that, or just I don't know, a better support group. And I yeah, think definitely yeah,
1: like, social media has definitely played a role. Yeah. A it lot like- of it it it, but, it um helps like open the doors and expose you to like the larger community that is there that you that a lot of us probably wouldn't have had access to without social media or even like found or discovered without social media um and especially in covid obviously it's been like vital in like connecting all of the groups who maybe otherwise would be meeting in person or hanging out in person. Um yeah, my so. mom is a
0: part of a group called like the September 99 group and <laughs> that group is based off of adoptive parents who sent in their like paperwork like to file like for adoption at that like same time. Mm. And so it's interesting um she connects a lot with like the parents. She does like these weekly Zoom meetings and like, you know, they just just talk and like have a great time that's and awesome and really good friends who I met like through that group we met yeah. like in person um I think when I was eight so when we were both eight so it was like a long time ago and then we lost touch over the years but then um like my the summer of like freshman year of high school or whatever like she reached out to me through Instagram and then we reconnected mm-hmm. and i were just talking you know like try to talk to like each other every week and that kind of thing and she's been another person who I can be really open about like my adoption with and like we share a lot of similarities that way so I definitely think like just the aspect of being able to like use Zoom or just use WebEx or whatever you use in social media.
1: I think allow
0: adoptees to like become closer in a way too and just I don't know bring up issues that it's hard to talk to other people about i guess
1: yeah i mean i can say without a doubt that without instagram without social media i wouldn't have i would have nobody to talk to on my podcast it would just be <laughs> me in a stream of consciousness um because that's how i have found aside from you know starting with my own adoption circle that i knew you know like my mom has a similar group to your mom and that kind of stuff um but aside from that like I would have nobody to talk to if it wasn't for social media. That's how people reach out to me. That's how I find people. And, you know, so it's and like it doubled in COVID, tripled in COVID, like how that's how I like communicated with people. So I definitely think that that is true. And I think it also, in terms of social media, ties back to your like piece of advice that you Uh, originally we're talking about in terms of like being confident and not letting you know naysayers kind of uh rain on your parade so to speak because like social media I feel like used to do that like social media used to be like such a judgmental critical um place and it still is and it still can be and there's still a lot of like bullying and intimidation that goes on because in a lot of ways that's easier too like through a screen right mm-hmm. but still i feel like overall social media now like is one of those forces that encourages you know uniqueness and and authenticity and everybody being different and like kind of like marching to their own beat um and so i think it i think i totally think it's tied together
0: i agree for sure yeah. and just like um you know, and I talked about like my mom's group or whatever, and then like losing, I mean, I know like they tried to like get the girls, you know, to like stay in touch, but like, it just didn't happen over time. And like, oh, you like find them all kind of on social media, but like, I don't know. Um, everyone's kind of like living their like different lives now. And it's just hard to, I guess, reconnect. But um, that's what I'm trying to say is like, in the end, it's always nice to know that like, there's always, I guess, someone to talk to, even if it's not from like your own travel group or like parent group, like finding like, um, just like more people to talk to, like that can never be a bad thing. So
1: definitely, I totally, totally agree. Thank you so much, Claire, for coming on this show. I love talking with you. I love connecting with adoptees and, you know, I talk to adoptees from all different countries, but it's certainly at this point, since I've done it many times now, it's definitely uh, a familiar and comforting you know, feeling, knowing that I'm talking to another Chinese adoptee, because I feel like China has such a specific history, um, especially compared to other Asian countries with adoption. Um, and it's, as you said, as you literally just said, it's always really nice to know that there's someone to connect to to connect with out there um and so thank you so much for reaching out to me i'm really glad that i could have you on the show
0: yes thank you so much i'm really happy i got to do this with you awesome
1: thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode we will be back next week thanks for listening to this episode of i'm adopted now what hosted by me liza If you liked what you heard, then please be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. Leave a good review and share this episode with a friend. If there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on a later episode, DM me and tell me all about it. You can do that and find this podcast on Instagram and Facebook at imadopted.podcast. See you there.